as we begin this Advent season in preparation for Christmas. I don't know if you know this, but it's the shortest Advent can be. So we have the fourth Sunday of Advent, and then we have Christmas Eve on the same day. So everybody gets to go to church a whole bunch on Sunday and Monday. And I don't want to hear any complaining because I have like eight masses between the two days. I got to go way more than you guys do. But as we begin Advent, we have this great line from St. Paul. And he just says, God is faithful. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. All we need to do is just keep believing. To not give up. And there's a lot of people giving up right now. God is faithful. The Bible gives us countless examples of God's fidelity. Even in the gospel, right? It's not like Jesus is telling this gospel so that God can surprise us and catch us, you know, doing bad stuff. Like he's a cop or something. He tells us because he says you don't know when it's going to happen. So just keep believing it's going to happen. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Whether you know it or not, the end of time is coming in your lifetime. Did you know that? The end of the world is coming in your lifetime. Because you're all going to die. It will come, one way or another. And so watch and trust and believe. I think, though, of all the examples of God's fidelity in the Bible, nowhere... Nowhere does it more profoundly show us his fidelity than in the story of Mary of Nazareth. Nowhere. Because this is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Mary teaches a profound lesson of trust like no other in the Bible. No other character can teach us like she can. And her response to God's fidelity ought to be ours in all the situations we find ourselves in. And if we don't have her response, we should go to her. She has a profound lesson of trust to teach us. Next to Jesus, she is the single greatest person to have ever lived. No pope, no statesman, no president, no actor, no actress, no athlete, no one in the human race. Next to Jesus himself, we owe gratitude to that woman more than to any other person in history. But to best understand Mary, you have to put her in the context of Eve. You know, everybody, not everybody, Catholics usually don't, but our Protestant brothers and sisters freak out when we say, this Friday, right, is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And everybody's like, oh, you say all this stuff about Mary and she's immaculately conceived and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, hey, there were two women that were immaculately conceived. And apparently you don't care about the first one. Eve was immaculately conceived without sin. And it's crazy if you put the two stories together, right? Eve, if you look at her, In Genesis, we have the beginning of the human race. And Mary's yes is the recreation of the human race. At the very beginning of our race, look at this. We see a woman conceived without sin, betrothed to a man who is a virgin, and they're visited by an angel. A fallen angel, albeit, unfortunately. And the message from that angel caused disobedience. And the consequence of this response is death for the human race. Pain. Suffering. 
It was the worst day in the history of the world. The day of the fall of our rebellion. The result being that you and I are sold into slavery to the devil and being stuck under the powers of sin and death. And yet, on this most terrible day, God gives us a promise. And remember, God is faithful. God says this, I will put hatred between you, the woman, and the devil who has deceived you. And he foretells a real day that will come. And even though the serpent who is continuously biting at our heels, someone is going to come and crush him. And all of it's going to happen through the woman. And from that day for thousands of years, our race was waiting for that woman, and that woman is Mary. A woman conceived without sin, betrothed to a man who is a virgin, and visited by an angel. But this time, the obedience of that woman to the message of the angel resulted in life for the human race. If Mary would have said no, and I want to make something abundantly clear, she could have said no. You know how we know that? We know that by fact, because Eve said no. Both immaculately conceived, both in the state of original innocence. One said no, one said yes. Mary had the ability to say no, and if she would have said no, there's no hope. There is no hope. I love Mother Teresa. There's a story about her. She, she's so witty, you know, just these little one-liners that shut people up forever. There were these, you know, I think she was arguing with some Protestants and they were, you know, again, they were going off about how we worship Mary and how we hold her in such high esteem that we forget about Jesus and Jesus is everything and Jesus this and Jesus that. And, and Mother Teresa just kind of takes it. And when they finally stop, she just looks at him and she says, but no Mary, no Jesus and walks away. <laughs> you know, like that's. In the end, that's kind of the final argument. Because Mary did say yes. Because she did surrender. You and I and every single person on this face of this planet owes her honor and respect like we owe to no one else. And that's why it's so appropriate that we come to her. That we look to her. That we follow her example. We worship God and God alone. But we honor people all the time for Dumb things, in fact. But the one who is deserving honor more than any person is Mary. So what's the point of all this? I would like to suggest that you, that you and I, we have a common struggle. Everybody has their own struggles with whatever sin you struggle with. Maybe multiple sins, whatever. But our common struggle is this. We don't trust. We don't really believe that God is faithful. That God is a father who keeps his promises. I know many people who are awaiting test results for health. And we know that it's not easy when you don't know the answer. And you become anxious and fearful. People without jobs. People with family struggles. People with scandal in their family. There is not one of us here who does not have some reason that our minds are not preoccupied. And yet in the back of our minds, I think, is this question. Will God come through? Does he even care? Or worst of all, is he even real? I would suggest to you today 
that nobody can teach us of God's faithfulness, God's love, and God's reality like our mother. Get out of your head that just because she was immaculately conceived that she had this easy life. Mary had to learn like all of us. She had to learn how to trust. She had to learn how to surrender, how to grow in faith. And if there's anyone that was entitled to a life of ease, it was her. Surely in Nazareth, there should have been like a throne or something that people came to that she just sat on. And they paid their homage to the mother of the king of kings. But not so. Not so. That didn't happen. Instead, from the very moment that she says yes to God, everything, and I mean everything, goes wrong. Everything. Nazareth, the town she lives in, rejects her. Because it soon they assume that she's pregnant out of wedlock and therefore unfaithful. And it's a small town. We live in North Dakota. We know small towns. Word travels really fast, even if it's a lie. There was a great line from a bishop I heard one time. There was a, he was coming to visit the parish. And the, the lady, it was a small town parish, and the lady got the whole church together. And she said, he's coming to close the parish. The bishop's coming to close the parish. She told everybody in the town. And so they all showed up in protest. And the bishop got up and he said, there's a rumor going around that I'm going to close this parish. And everybody kind of puts their head down. He said, I want you to know something. It's not a rumor. It's a lie. And then afterwards, the woman came up to her and she said, Bishop, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just assumed you were coming. He's like, no, you're good. What you did today, I want you to do every Sunday. That's a good bishop. Smart bishop. Just so happens that that bishop was Bishop Austin Vetter. Out in Helena. And so Mary is the gossip and the slander of everybody. She receives no royal welcome when she goes by God's providence to a census that has to happen in Bethlehem. And so this nine-month pregnant woman gets on a donkey and goes 110 miles as her husband walks to Bethlehem as they show up. Certainly the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God hero, the Prince of Peace would have a suite prepared for him. Possibly a penthouse hotel room. Not so. He's lucky to find a barn. And at his birth, are there any great royal officials and dignitaries there? No. There's a couple cows, donkeys, a few shepherds. And then finally, she is visited by these magi from the east, kind of dignitaries from the east. And they come saying, hey, he is God. He is a king. And she's like, wow, this is great. And then they also say, oh, and by the way, the local king... He's going to kill him. Oh. So I don't know about you, ladies. I'm not a woman. I haven't had kids. But if you think of this, when you had a newborn baby, a week old, would you want to get on a donkey and travel about 500 miles through a desert to a land where you didn't speak the language and it was pagan? Because that's what happened. And then they get down to Egypt, and a few years later, Joseph has a dream, and he says, hey, go back. Okay. So they go back. And then they get back, and Jesus is safe, and he's at home, and Mary's happy, because every mother wants their child safe. 
But it's 30 years. Sounds like a good 21st century man, huh? Living at home until he's 30. But Mary had to be like, Jesus, when is it? Let's go. Come on, time to get out. I mean, I love the cabinets and the furniture, but let's get rolling. And so Jesus leaves. And it's good. It's good. There's people following him in crowds. And oh my gosh, there's people everywhere. And Mary's so excited, she goes to see him. And she knocks on the door and they say, Jesus, your mother's here. And Jesus looks and he says, who is my mother? The one who does the will of my father is my brother, my brother, and my sister. And Mary's got to be like, hello. I'm still outside. And all of a sudden it starts to turn. After only three years. And his best friend betrays him. And Mary has to watch as this all happens to her divine son. As he's stripped. Falsely accused. Beaten. Scourged. Almost to death. She watches him crowned with thorns. Just days earlier they were welcoming him as the king of the Jews. And now they're crowning him in mockery with a crown of thorns. And then she stands at the foot of the cross as the blood of her dead son falls onto her body. And all the while, I have to think that echoing in her heart were the words of the angel. He will be great. He'll be called son of the most high. And of his kingdom there will be no end. No end. He's dead. I remember, you guys, the heartache of, of Mary as she holds her dead son in her arms. And she must have thought, what on earth happened? The night that my mom died, I held her in my arms. And I will tell you this. There is nothing more final and more devastating than holding your loved one in your arms and then putting them in the grave. And yet, all the while, Mary believed. No one can teach us trust like she can. And then suddenly, Easter morning, and all the scriptures say nothing about this. Many, many saints write about it. That the first person that Jesus appeared to was his mother. It had to be. And suddenly everything fits. The puzzle pieces all make sense. And she is the queen. The mother. You and I, we're still walking this journey, man. And sometimes it can seem awfully bleak and awfully dark. But there are two things you can do in that moment. You can either like Eve... Take control. It's my show. I make the decisions. I disobey. Or like Mary. You can stand before the Father. And say as she did. Be it done unto me. According to your word. Because I trust you. I surrender to you. And I love you.